You're listening to the weekly Parsha podcast recorded with Hashem's never-ending assistance in Ramah Pesham Israel 5769-2009. This week's Parsha is Parsha's Naso. Although we already recorded and put out a Parsha podcast this week on Shavuos, nevertheless, on Shabbos we're going to read another Parsha. So I'd like to discuss something very important that we see in the Parsha. And what I'd like to do is compare and contrast two parshios, two concepts that are placed right next to each other in the Torah, which we have discussed in the past, but I'd like to bring out a new dimension of that. And that is the parsha of Sota, the wayward wife, the rebellious wife. And the next parsha, the next concept in the Torah, is the concept of the Nazir. And he is somebody who takes upon himself to have an exalted level of connection to God beyond the normal level. We'll see each concept one at a time, and then we'll compare and contrast the two concepts and see that they're very, very interestingly connected, and we need to understand the depth of that connection. So let's first look at the concept of Sota. The concept of Sota, the wayward wife, is as follows. So the Torah describes the story, there's a man and his wife, and this woman acts in a way which is very inappropriate for her, and she's seen on numerous occasions with a man who is not her husband, and the Torah describes how the husband of this woman So he's overcome by a jealousy, and that jealousy leads him to warn his wife that if again she is seen with that man behaving in a way that's inappropriate, so then he's going to bring her to the base Hamidash, to the temple, and there's going to be a procedure that's going to take place. And indeed, if she is again seen with this man after her warning, so then she's brought to the temple, and she is disgraced in front of everyone. Jewish women have an obligation to cover their hair. In the temple, she would have her hair uncovered, and they would rip her garments and there was a special offering that she was to bring. And after they would bring the offering, there was the May Sota, the waters of the Sota. They would take holy waters from the temple. And there was a scroll upon which had been written all the verses in the Torah that speak about the concept of the Sota, of this woman. And they would take this scroll and they would put the scroll into the water until the words and the letters would melt into the water. And then she would have to drink this water. And the Torah tells us that if indeed she had been unfaithful to her husband and she had had relations with this other man, so then when the waters come into her stomach, so her stomach will blow up and all of the parts of her body that were involved in this sin, in this transgression, will be destroyed and she'll have a gruesome death. However, if she indeed was innocent, and when we talk about innocent here, we mean, we're not saying that she didn't do anything because she was with another man, hanging out with another man against the desire of her husband. But nevertheless, if she had not had relations with that man, if she indeed was innocent, so the waters will enter into her stomach, and there will be a blessing that will come upon her stomach, she will conceive, and she'll be able to have a child. And the commentaries tell us that the child will be a beautiful child, and will be a Baltaira, somebody who learns Torah. This is the concept of the Sota of the wayward wife. There are many questions that we can ask over here, and I'd like to ask a few before we move on to the concept of Nazir. Our sages tell us that in regards to this mitzvah, so one of the things that happens, so they took that scroll and they melted the scroll, they allowed the letters to melt into the water. Now what's interesting about this is that ordinarily this would actually be forbidden because if you have a scroll written with the words of the Torah, with psukim, with verses of the Torah that contain God's name, so God's name is very holy and it's forbidden for that name to be erased. So ordinarily, it would not be permitted to do such a thing. However, God says, and this is what our sages tell us, that in order for the marital harmony, the shalom bias of this couple to be returned, this man who's accusing his wife of adultery, in order for that marital harmony to be restored, so God allows his name to be erased. 
Now, a few questions on this point. Number one, what does it mean that God's name is allowed to be erased? What's the depth of that concept? Why is it allowed to be erased? What does it represent? Second point, how does it get us to marital harmony? How does it return us to marital harmony because she's drinking this water? I mean, this guy and this woman, obviously they don't have such a good relationship to begin with. How is this going to help them in their relationship? How is it going to restore marital harmony? Another point is that the Torah tells us that she's made to drink this water. What is the significance of the fact that she's specifically drinking this water? What does that represent? And question number four is how do we understand the fact that if she indeed is innocent, so what's going to happen? So the water goes inside of her and she's able to conceive and they have a child. Now this is very strange, very odd, because this woman had been doing something which was inappropriate. She was hanging out with another man instead of her husband, and her husband got to the point where he was so angry that he accused her of doing it, warned her not to do it again, she did it again, and they came to the temple. So how is it that the Torah is going to reward such a woman if she hasn't indeed gone so far as to commit adultery and have relations with another man? So the Torah says, okay, this woman is going to be able to have a child. She's going to conceive. If she wasn't able to have children before, she's going to have a child. If she was able to have children before, she's going to have more beautiful children. It's going to be easier for her. What's the understanding? Why is she getting rewarded for not going so far? What's the understanding of this? Okay, now let's move on to the concept of the Nazir, which is the next idea that's spoken about in the Torah. The concept of the Nazir is as follows. A person says to himself, I would like to make myself holier. I would like to access God and develop my spiritual connection to God in a much more concrete way. So the Torah says that such a person, we have a plan for you. Here's what we do. What we do is we say, you're not going to drink any wine for whatever period of time that you choose. You're not going to drink any wine. You're not going to be allowed to become contaminated to the dead. And during this period of being a Nazir, so the Nazir is not permitted to cut his hair as well. Now, there are clearly parallels between the Nazir and the Kohen, both of whom are not permitted to become contaminated to the dead, and both of whom are not permitted to drink wine in their service of God. Nevertheless, the Nazir, in a certain sense, is more extreme, because a regular Kohen, as opposed to a Kohen Gadol, but a regular Kohen, he is permitted to become tummy, to become contaminated for close relatives. The Nazir is not permitted. And a regular Kohen is only not allowed to drink wine if he's about to perform the service. A Nazir is not allowed to drink wine at all. So clearly a Nazir, in his striving to connect to God, is going to a very extreme level. Now, what we find is that at the end of the process of this Nazir, after his time has been completed, so he brings special korbanos, three different sacrifices. One is a korban ola, completely burnt offering. One is a korban chatas, which ordinarily is brought for a sin. And one is a korban shlamim, what some would translate as a sacrifice, which is a peace offering between himself and God. Now, our sages explain that the reason that a Nazir is obligated to bring a korban chatas, which is ordinarily a sin offering, what's the sin that the Nazir has done? If anything, the Nazir has done something very proper, which was he wanted to sanctify himself, to bring himself closer to God. So, where's the sin? Why is he bringing this korban chatas? So, hold on to that question. Bezaz Hashem, with God's help, will come back to that question. Now, I'd like to point out that we see that there's clearly a connection, obviously a connection between Sota, the concept of the wayward wife, and the concept of the Nazir. First place that we see it is that Rashi tells us why are they placed next to each other and Rashi says the reason is because whoever sees a Sota Bekil Kula, a person who comes to the temple, he sees a woman who's being degraded for the act that she's done so a person who sees that Yazir Min Hayayin, he needs to take a concrete step and do something and what he should do is he should make himself into a Nazir and this way he won't drink wine 
This idea that Rashi says itself needs explanation. Because if you see someone who's getting destroyed for doing something, what did she do? She drank wine. She got drunk. She became loose. She ended up being with other men. Inappropriate behavior. And you see what happens to her? She gets degraded and destroyed. You need any greater impetus not to drink wine. You don't need to make yourself a nazir. What's the understanding of that? Another thing that we see, and we're going to go into more of the parallels and the contrasts between the two, but another thing that we see that's exactly the same, both in regards to the Nazir and in regards to the Sota, is that both of them take part of their offering, part of the sacrifice that they're bringing in the temple, and they do something called Tanufa. Tanufa is a waving, a movement in the six directions which we've mentioned in the past. And they would take part of that offering that they would bring, and they would wave it in the six directions. The question is, why specifically over here by Nazir and Sota do they both have this concept of Tanufa of waving? To begin to answer all these questions, we need to go back to something that we said in the Shavuos podcast, which was recorded yesterday. And that concept is as follows. The entire purpose of creation, the reason why God created everything, was in order that there be a unity. What does that mean? God originally created the human being, the human soul, and He separated it from Himself. And then He took the human soul, He separated it into many parts, and He separated it, each of those parts into male and female. And the reason that He did all of this separating, all of the separation's purpose, was in order that the separate parts should reunite together and thereby by reuniting and realizing that no part can be fulfilled on its own by acting as an individual, but rather there's an interdependent reality that must be accepted and acknowledged and used in order to reattach oneself to the other parts of one's soul and to the other parts of humanity in order to reattach to God. So by doing so, one attaches himself to the ultimate purpose of creation, which was that a person be able to earn for himself the connection to God. Now naturally, because this is the theme and purpose of the entire creation, this concept runs through every single level of reality down to the very physical nature of our psyches. What does that mean? If you think about it, so there's one drive, there's one lust that controls the hearts of people throughout the world. And I don't need to mention what it is, but in any event, we all know what it is. And what's the understanding? Why is that drive so central to what occupies the human being's mind? And the answer is because the essential purpose of creation was unity, was to unify, to unite the different parts of one's soul, the male and female parts of one's soul, and then subsequently to unite all the parts of Adam HaRishon, the first man's soul, and ultimately to reunite with God Himself. Now, whenever we find the opposite of that, we find utter destruction, which is what we mentioned. The three cardinal sins, Argili, Arayas, adultery, Shvi murder, and Avurazara, idolatry. All three of these are the opposite of the unification that we're supposed to do. And all of them are a result of absolute ego. And ego, gaiva, represents the opposite of the desire to unite. But it's all about me. It's all about what I can get out of this. What can I do? It's all about focusing on one's own self to the negation of everybody else and everything else. Now let's take this idea and look at the Sota. And we'll begin to understand all of the questions that we ask in regards to Sota. First of all, the Sota, this woman, she's a wayward woman, she's involved with other men, she has lost sight of the purpose of creation, of what her job in life is. 
Now let's talk about the woman who had not actually committed adultery. However, she was seen with another man against the express wishes of her husband. Now such a woman, she's brought to the temple. And what happens? Right in front of her eyes, they melt the name of God in front of her eyes. What's the name of God? The name Yudke Vavke. This name represents the unity of God. But not just the unity of God, but it represents the unity of all of creation with God. And that name gets melted. And the message of that to her is that she is missing the point. She is not seeing that the entire purpose of her existence is in order to create unity. She's creating disunity. She's told to drink those waters. And the message there again is, you need to internalize what's going on here. You need to realize, you need to bring it inside of yourself, the fact that there is a lack of unity that's going on. Then what happens? If she is indeed innocent, she had not had relations with that man. So what happens? So the Torah tells her like this, you at least understood that you couldn't go so far. So now I'm going to teach you another lesson that will help you. And the lesson is you're going to conceive. You're going to conceive to have a child. You've never had a child before, but now you will. And the reason is because you know what you learn when you have a child? You learn how to give. You learn how to invest. You learn that it's not just about me. It's also about somebody else. It's not just a reward for the fact that she did not go and have relations with another man, but rather it's the first stage in her development in reaching a realization that she needs to act to unify herself with her husband in the proper way. She needs to focus on other people. She needs to focus on developing a lower sense of ego and a greater sense of humility. Now, let's move on to Nazir. So we said that if a person sees a woman who's being degraded in this way, so what should he do? He should prevent himself from drinking wine. He should become a Nazir. So what is the concept here? Because what we see is we see a woman who has gone in the extreme into a negative place, into a place where she's lacking unity, and she needs to relearn that the purpose of creation is in order to create unity. So now, somebody who sees this, so naturally, when we see something, we naturally respond by wanting to do the same thing. Of course, this person who's seeing is not going to want to do something similar to what this woman had done, which ended her up in this degraded state. No. But what he does see is two things. Number one, this person in front of him, so she went to the extreme. She went so far. That's what he sees. And number two, she's being taught a lesson that we need to create unity. And that the purpose of life is ultimately to connect to God. So now, this person sees it and he says to himself, I want to do something too. I want to connect to God. I want to tap into that unity. And he also does something extreme. He's Mazer Atzmi Hayayin. He doesn't drink wine. He doesn't contaminate himself to the dead. And here we see something that our sages tell us. And that is, why does he bring a Korban Chatas? Why does he bring that sin offering? Because he's gone too far to the extreme. The Torah does not want us to completely cut ourselves off from the physical world. Not to be involved in drinking wine. Not to contaminate ourselves to the dead. The Torah wants us to use the physical world in our service of God. If God placed wine in this world, he wants us to use it in a positive way in order to serve him properly. That's why we make Kiddush over wine. On Friday night, that's why we make Havdalah over wine. On Matzi Shabbos, that's why there's wine when we get married. And on so many other different occasions in Judaism. Because the point is that we're supposed to direct our desires towards God. We're supposed to use the physical world in our service of Hashem. And the Nazir, while he wanted to be extreme and he wanted to create that unity, nevertheless, he went too far. And that's why he brings a Korban Chatos, a sin offering. What we see here, both in the Sota and the Nazir, is that we have two people who are suffering from an imbalance. And because of that imbalance, they can't properly get to the highest state of unity. 
This, I believe, is why both of their services to God, when they come to the temple, involved a tnufa, a shaking, a waving of their mincha, of their special offering. And the reason was, as we mentioned in Parshas Emor, we said that when there's this waving that would go in six directions, it would go back and forth between the male concept and the female concept. And this represents the fact that in order for there to be a proper unity between the male and female forces of creation, between a man and his wife, between a person and God, so it's necessary that there be a balance, a back and forth, each one understanding, what does God really want from me? He does not want me to be extreme. He wants me to use everything in His service, as we said. And the woman, the Sota, she's also supposed to recognize that there is a balance that's missing, and she's missing the point that everything is about unity. This, I believe, is the underlying theme that runs through both of these two ideas. May Hashem help us to maintain the proper balance, whether it's in our relationships with others, or whether it's in our relationship with Him. May Hashem help us to constantly strive to reach that level of unity, to realize that it's not just about me, it's always about us. It's always about the other people in our lives. It's always about connecting to each other, not at the expense of others, heaven forbid, but rather through the expanse of others, by expanding our relationships, by expanding in our connections, both to others and to God. Thank you so much for listening. Have a wonderful Shabbos.